you would please turn in your Bibles to Galatians 2, verses 1 through 10. Our title of our sermon today is Truth Comes at What Cost? And that's what we will be unpacking and thinking about through the book of Galatians and what it is that we've been walking through. Been walking through that for uh, a little bit when I've been with you uh, a couple other times this year as uh, I've been privileged to to bring the the word of the Lord to you all. Um, Thank you all for your prayers as well as you're turning in your uh, your Bibles right now. Uh, They were appreciated and coveted for our time at camp with uh, senior saints at City Union Mission. It was a very sweet time of fellowship for all of them. Hopefully you are there now. This is the reading of the word from Galatians 2. Then... After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. In order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. This concludes the reading of God's holy, inspired, and errant word. Please pray with me. Father, we ask that these words that you have given us, you would soak deeply into the places of our hearts and our lives where you transform us, that you would continue or begin to do work in each of our lives according to your will and your way for our benefit. We ask this through Christ our Redeemer. Amen. What is truth? I think our world will say many different things when they hear that. Well, you do you. I'll do me. Truth, it's all relative. That might be true for you, but that's not true for me. You might hear things like less certainty or more curiosity. Heard that on multiple podcasts lately. Or if people saying, That's not my truth. Don't put that upon me. Or even things like, we need to help people deconstruct so that they can understand and find their truth. 
Now, all of these things, as I said, we have heard. We've probably heard these in the last six months, in the last month, in the last couple of years. Or you might be sitting here and thinking, oh, that guy, he's outdated, he's old. Those were so three years ago. Well, that gets a little bit to my point. That what we're seeing with truth today, the world will tell us, is very relative. It's based upon what you believe, what it is that you perceive, what it is that you want what it is that your desires and your heart and your flesh crave. Now, we all have experienced and seen and feel some degree of truth. And even with those statements, you probably said, yeah, there's some good things. There's some things I like about that, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. But as a minister of God's gospel and as a man who is coming to you today, I want to submit to you that truth comes, but it comes at what cost? What is true truth? To quote Francis Schaeffer, when we consider true truth, I think it is absolutely certain that we come from a place that is underpinning where or whatever it is that we believe. We have to know and understand where and why and what we believe so that then we can say, ah, yes, I am responding here because of this. Or I am responding here because I am certain of these things. Or I'm responding here because I think that I am the center and that what I believe is important is where we should root all things. Now, seldom will people say such a thing. That last statement will go, no, 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 I don't believe that. I want it to be underpinned with culture and society and the good of all. Well, thankfully, as Christians, we desire the same. We desire the good of all in light of what God has done and his sacrifice and his word according to his will and his way. Truth is not relative. It has to come from someplace. It is founded in something. So as you hear these words this morning, as you hear these words from the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians, and as you consider them for your world and what it is that you are doing, where God has placed you, I want you to consider this purpose, that you would be reaffirmed and rest and know that truth is found only with God as the foundation and unifier of all things. Let me restate that. That you would be reaffirmed and rest knowing that truth is only found with God as the foundation and unifier of all things. Now Paul is walking through here and we've been in Galatians as I said a couple of times. This is our third time through, through the book of Galatians as I have preached it. And he's walked through in chapter 1 basically what is going on with with a church that is not unified, a church that is disjointed, that is not put together in such a way that is healthy. And whether it was two years or five years, I've said this a couple of times, it was recently that Paul was with this church and saying, hey, you have heard the truth of the gospel, you know these things, yet you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And I submitted to you before, and I, I submit again, that many times we will quickly and, and, and subconsciously even Turn away from the truths of the gospel. Turn away from the truths and the things that we see and know and believe are good and true and right. But what's at stake here is that people are saying and asking for the Galatians, are there things that ultimately should be added to the gospel? Are there things that need to be in addition to faith alone? In addition to what it is that Christ has done on the cross for, his, for our sins with his finished work once for all. 
That is what is going on here. Foundationally, that's what is at stake. Truth is at stake. Now, you probably, being in a Christian church, hopefully don't feel this way, but you've probably heard and said people say, heard people say, well, that was 2,000 years ago that Christ Jesus walked the earth. That is not today that he is walking the earth. Well, there has to be things that become more relevant, that there is truth today that was not true then. Well, I submit to you that's not the case. I submit to you that what scriptures confirms and tells us is that this is the timeless truth given all the way from the very beginning with our first parents and Adam and Eve to that of us today, that this is the same unifying truth of the gospel, the same story that was true for Adam is true for us. That truth is foundational. That is the truth where I want you to root your lives and when you consider the things that are being assaulted against you and brought against you, that you return to that. You return to foundational truth. For there are going to be many truths that are, that are brought against you and there are going to be many things and many ways that people ultimately say, hey, truth comes at a cost, but that's too great or too much. And I want you to consider two truths related to our passage today. Those are written in front of you on, on your bulletins. And the first of those truths is one, that the world can and add nothing to the truth of the gospel. Two, that truth confirms and brings unity. Now we're going to see this from the book of Galatians 2, and we're going to see this from all the scriptures, that basically truth is there and is confirmed. And as we walk through this story and, and, and the, the early chapters and the early part of what it is that happened in the Apostle Paul's life, we are going to see this story of truth being on display. And whether that truth is truly confirmed or not. And so if you're not a Christian, or if you are a Christian, wrestle with this. See this. See the goodness of truth on display. I find it to be a great encouragement for us church family as we walk through these things and consider what it is that God ultimately has for us with the truth of the gospel. Okay, without further ado, I want to get into Galatians 2. I want you to look at Galatians 2. So Galatians 2, I believe there are two sections, which is why we have two points to our sermon instead of three points to our sermon. Galatians 2, verse 1, really gets into this here. As we see in the first five verses, it's separated in such a way. Verse 1 says this, Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them. Here we are seeing almost right away that there is a picture of what it is that truth brings. And that the world can ultimately add nothing to the gospel. And what we are seeing again, and Paul said here earlier, just a couple of verses earlier in chapter 1, is that this truth, it comes by revelation. There are two ways that we see this related to our first point. And the first way that we see this is that <clears throat> ultimately it comes to him by a revelation. It has come to Paul by a re direct revelation from God. Now, we have seen and know that what is really at stake here is a couple of things. First, I, I think you, you can see in the, this passage, in these couple of verses, that Paul is ultimately doing a couple of things. One, he's going up to Jerusalem. Two, He's got two travelers. He's got Barnabas and Titus. And three, what is for, up for grabs is the gospel. False gospels. True gospels. 
These are our three primary things that I think that we see here and related to this. Now, if we look through this a little bit, I think it is important for us to see, first of all, these travelers are with him, I believe are there to help confirm the gospel, that they are here to point out these things, to confirm the revelation of what it is that God has done and is doing. Now, second, look, there's Barnabas and Titus. Now, this isn't here by accident. I want to give you a little bit of background. Barnabas was, you know, one of the people who traveled with Paul and was commonly there, but Titus was a Gentile. Titus was a man who most likely had not been circumcised. And so there's a debate and there's a discussion here that is actually going on, and commentators have spilled a lot of ink on this and written dissertations about this and said, well, what we need to basically get into is was this an issue of circumcision or not? I think that this is truly a secondary issue. What we're actually seeing is the primary issue that is at stake is are these people, whatever the case may be, whether it be circumcision or other points, are trying to add things to the gospel. They're trying to say, here are some things that you ultimately need to do when you become a Christian to do this or to do that, to do these things. And, and sometimes we have felt that as well, brothers and sisters. I know that we can feel that sometimes when we feel the weight of once we have come to faith and we believe and for that first time and it feels like there's this glorious road, for it is a glorious road in front of us, that we don't think about the suffering or the things or the hardship that are going to come as well. And sometimes we can hear other people, and even ourselves, as we turn through scriptures, that we start adding to the gospel and saying, here are things that I have to do to be made right with Jesus. No, there is sanctification. We are to grow in Christ Jesus, and he does do that for us, and he does work in our lives. But we are not saying that there are ultimately requirements or new things to be added, like a circumcision of Titus to become a Jew. That these are not things that ultimately need to happen. And I think what we see is a pretty pivotal moment actually in church history, which I think is really fun. I think it's a really exciting thing when we as a church can look back and see, hey, what has gone on is for 14 years this man has been growing, Paul, in his faith. And he has now gone up before Jerusalem to confirm the things that he has studied and known and seen. And so ultimately what's at stake is, is the gospel that Paul has proclaimed that he has given to the churches, that he is growing and is now being commissioned for missionary journeys to, that we have seen later after the fact, is this truly the gospel? Can things change? Will they change? And we're told here explicitly, actually here in verse, <clears throat> verse about Titus, that even Titus, who was with me, verse 3, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. It didn't add anything to him. There wasn't anything that he ultimately, they said, you have to do to get this gospel and good news of grace in Christ Jesus. But we see this, though, that it was all came through this revelation, the revelation of Christ Jesus to Paul that was the full gospel, that was the true gospel, the right gospel and good news of grace. That the blood of the Lamb of Jesus truly is at work. And that it's not some other things that elders or false brothers in the church, as it says, get to add. Or that the world can tell you needs to be put on to your right standing to be a good citizen. Or to be a good person here today. Our right standing is already determined in Christ Jesus. Now this brings me to a second way that I think that we're going to see from our passage today. And after these first three verses, we're going to see 
Secondly, that there are going to be people who try to rob us of gospel freedom. That it is not only the revelation by God alone, but the second way, people will try to sneak in and slip in and steal your gospel freedom that has been purchased in Christ Jesus. Now see this here. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might, be, that they might bring us into slavery. You see that in verse 4, and it's such a powerful statement here. That Paul is saying these, these secondary issues of circumcision or other things, there are many things that possibly were going on here early in this church. He's saying, ultimately, what is at stake? Is there are people who are going to say that you need to do these things, to be loving, to be kind, to be nice, to be holy even, to be right with your God. And he's saying that these people will sneak in and try to steal your freedom in Christ. Don't let them. He says, do not be deceived. He implores the Galatians to do not be deceived. And with that, there's a statement for us to not be deceived as well. To remember that if we truly are in Christ Jesus, he truly has freed us from everything. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, as Paul writes elsewhere in one of his other books. We are not to be condemned. We cannot be condemned because Christ Jesus has paid in full for you, for me. So don't let those people try to add on things. Don't let them try to tell you there are things that you need to do to be a loving and kind person that are contrary to the holy and perfect word of your God. Paul even goes on elsewhere. He basically says that in places like Philippians 3. And he says, you know, for me to know Christ and to give up the things of, of this earth, those things are rubbish. And Paul had a pretty good standing, as we've heard before. He, he called himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was he was right stand, had right standing in all of the legal land of the Jewish system. He was a, a good guy, if you will. He got it. He understood Judaism. But he said those things were rubbish. He was probably wealthy, had the right education. He went to Harvard or Yale or Stanford by today's standards here in America. Yet, he said those things are rubbish or trash. I like that a little more literally. I think that trash the things of this earth are just trash. We think about that. Put that bag out on Monday morning on your curb. Those things that stink that are in your house. Those are the things that are of this world. Even the good things of this world. Paul is saying, if I had those things that are good by the world's standards, they don't even come close to the standards of what it is that Christ Jesus has given me and that those who around me will try to take, that the world will try to take, that there will be false brothers who try to add to these things and that there will be legalism and weight added to you. Don't let them. He says, don't let these things, your self-righteousness, your pride, your right standing with your neighbors, your right standing with your family, don't let these things get in the way with the gospel. Don't let these good things that truly are rubbish compared to the weight and the glory of knowing Christ Jesus as your Lord. We've been given freedom. We're free of everything. Don't return to our pet sins and the things that try to enslave us. 
the true gospel of grace, there's not something more. There's not something more that we need to do or rewrite history or change. And we see this here actually in this, this, this book, in these passages. Because if we didn't see that here in these passages, if we didn't see that in his holy word, that would be problematic. For we would have grounds, I believe, at that point to rewrite things. But we don't. Do not hear me saying that we have grounds to rewrite these things. For Paul is saying, the gospel that I proclaim, the gospel that was given to me by a revelation of Jesus Christ, actually, it was confirmed. Now, here's what we see, actually. And this is our second truth this morning that you have before you in your bulletins. The second truth, and I find this very encouraging, is that the true gospel brings unity. So the truth of the gospel really confirms and it brings about unity. Now look in verse 6 and you'll see this. Now from those recognized as important, what they once were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. Now Paul is saying here that he has had a conversation, as we heard privately here just a verse or two before, with those who are recognized as important in the church. That is, and we actually see that here a little bit later in a couple of verses, Peter, Cephas, and John, Peter, uh, sorry, Peter, James, and John, <laughs> Cephas, Peter, that he sides with them, that they side with him, that they basically said, no, what you have is true, what you have is right, and that there is actual gospel unity, that there is actually a vision and a coherence, though it came in different ways, directly through the words of Jesus, those who walked with him, and now you have a Jewish man who had right standings, and he wasn't a fisherman, he wasn't from Galilee, yet they're saying there's unity. And they're also saying there's unity for people like Titus, for Gentiles like you and me, for those who would not look right within that church community in the early first century. And what did they do? It says here, look at this, in verse 7, that Paul is entrusted with the gospel and... They gave to me the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles as they went to the uncircumcised. Or they went to the circumcised. Uh, the circumcised being that of the Jews. Those that, who were Jewish went to those people and they're saying basically the gospel is for everyone. And I said this before. It is for Jews. It is for Gentiles. And he's basically saying you all can and do have freedom in Christ Jesus. And the gospel that was confirmed and given to me by Jesus Christ as this revelation those who are influential in the church confirmed this, that this is the true gospel, that he is being commissioned, if you will, in many ways to that of being an apostle, to that of saying, no, you are, you are right and you have good standings, and they gave him the right hand of fellowship. Continually, again, this is such an exciting moment for us to have recorded and consider this, this confirmation for Paul. That his writings and his work is the true gospel. That Peter, James, and John confirmed this. That his missionary journeys that we have recorded in Acts, that his conversion in Acts 9 truly are works of God. That those are things that God has done and that those are things that really have confirmed the fact that he is a man who is doing the same thing and proclaiming and preaching the same gospel proclaimed there to those people. Truth was at stake. And it was confirmed. Hear that. Hear this good news and this confirmation of what it is that we're seeing with this unity. That somebody here 14 years later, he goes before them and says, yeah, 
You're right. That's right. And these other false brothers who are trying to tell you you need to do these things, they're, they're adding to the gospel, and that is not the case of what the gospel truly is. And what I think you'll see here, and I love this as well, that what happens on the heels of gospel proclamation, and I had a professor actually point this out to me, and, and, and I loved it, and it's actually one of my, this is one of my favorite verses. And one of my favorite verses here is Galatians 2.10. And we see this in this confirmation for, for Paul that he is to go out and basically take the gospel, but he is also, what does it say? Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So here we have this picture, this exciting vision of Paul basically saying, okay, so the gospel is, is foundational. We're united in the gospel. We believe in these things. We believe in the truth of these things. Oh, yeah, but you need to remember the poor. So at the same time that they confirmed the gospel in his life, they basically said, here's something that we would love if you do. They're not saying that this is the gospel, that you need to remember the poor and do these social works, but they are saying that the gospel is so important that it will transform and it, you will want to remember the poor, that you will want to remember those who are around you, that those who are basically a part of the, the, the family of God, who God is at work and, and, and pulling people to himself. Now Calvin actually, and I'm going to summarize him a little bit because he wrote pretty lengthily at this point, but he says that roughly this, that God has a reason to care for his churches that were being oppressed in many ways. And this, yes, is likely to those churches in that region who were being oppressed. But he wants them to be an encouragement to Jewish Christians, to Gentile Christians, and whomever God calls, and they should partake in the advance of the mission. And if there are the barriers or things that include things like money, or if there are include things like division of, of, of unity, of class, let's look past those things, to get past those things. For God remembers the poor. Blessed are the poor, as he says in Matthew. For there are those who are both in riches as well as in poverty that we saw with Job that will turn to God. For Job did both when he had riches as well as when he had poverty. But what I love in the story of Job, and I think we see elsewhere in scriptures as well, that when we see people who are in poverty, we expect the, the enemy expects that you will basically curse God. For the enemy, Satan, actually, when Job rejects these things and, and says, you know, Though you slay me, I will still praise you. Satan gets real upset. For he thinks that the things of this world matter. For he thinks that the things of this earth are important. Because that's what he has to offer you. The things of this earth. That's what he had to offer Christ Jesus when he was tempted. He had the things of this earth. And so if and when we look past those things and we remember that our eternity is certain that it has been purchased and bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and that we have new bodies that are incorruptible and that we will be made right. Man, what a, what a lousy trade. So he says this, though, because it is, and we feel that, we know that, that when the poor are around us, that it is hard to remember God's goodness and his faithfulness. For some of us, I'm sure, have experienced different degrees of poverty in our lives, in our 30-something in our years in my case, or in our 60 years, or 80 years, or how many ever years that the Lord has given you. There have been richer years, and there have been poorer years. I'm sure of it. That's the human experience. 
But in those places, in those times, remember those brothers as well, especially when we have abundance, to remember to go to the poor and those who are around us. And also remember that the poor is with us. The Lord reminds us the poor is with us always. And so it's not a gospel issue, but it is a heart transformational issue. And that there are things and ways that we say, okay, well, out of my abundance and the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ, for there are churches that didn't have much, and yet they gave, and they sent, and they took care of the poor. We look at the poor and we say, okay, well, yeah, there is poor in towns like when we go to on missions trips. And there are poor in the, the urban core of Kansas City, like City Union Mission. But there are poor in Lee Summit. And there are poor our next door neighbors. For it might be a neighbor who we know who has been laid off for six months. Or it might be that we can look and say, okay, well, in our high schools and in our elementary schools, is there poverty there? Should we care for them in the same way that the Lord asked for, uh, that, the, that the apostles commissioned Paul to care for the poor? Well, I, I looked it up, and I think it's a, a fascinating stat, that Lee Summit North, our, our local high school, 24% of students are on reduced or free lunch. There's poverty. There's, there, there's the poor who are with us, who are close, at hand to us. To remember the poor. To go to them. To give a hand as Christ Jesus has given a hand to us in such a way so that it's not that they are just receiving that, but that we are taking the good news of Christ Jesus and adding nothing to it as other false brothers and sisters can and will do. This is where this passage walks to, and it concludes this, this, this picture of what it is that ultimately, in many ways, just like Paul, that we are to be a missionary people. And as he's commissioned to basically go out and his missionary journeys are confirmed, that we are to be a missionary-minded people. So as we've walked through this text, and as we've thought about these things, and as we've thought about truth today, I'm sure that there are a lot of things you say, okay, well, truth, yes, I see that there is truth, and that truth can and does come at a cost. But I want you to look closer at your heart. Consider this for a second. What truth are you clinging to? Where are you clinging to truth that is false? Where are you looking to things in your life that are not hinged around Jesus, around his cross? Where are the places or things that you're trying to add to the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters? Be mindful of those places and repent of those places. Take them to his cross. Remember that. And if you're not living underneath that cross, remember that as well. That here is a man who was confirmed by those who were in positions of authority and he gave up everything of earthly value for the sake of this truth. That truth came at a great cost for the Apostle Paul. That he was proclaiming this thing that today people might say, oh, you Christians are outdated and old-fashioned, you're haters, or even more harsh, or, or blunt terms that are out there. But remember that they are redefining what is good, and they're putting it in a place that is not rooted in the final authority of God and his word and his sufficiency. So don't listen to them. But also view this, and remember this second point, because we see this here clearly in this passage, that we are to be Christians who are united in unity. 
and united in doctrine. For what was, I think, at stake there was that there was unity and doctrine that was being basically checked. They were checking up on Paul's unity and doctrine here in these, these verses, and it was confirmed, and they gave him the right hand of fellowship. And they said, okay, well, we are to go and to be a missionary people and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And thankfully, there are churches here in our presbytery, and there are churches outside our denomination, and that there are people and places here in this city that are at work for the good news of Jesus Christ going forth. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily that we're going to be able to be together on Sunday mornings, but we remember and extend each other sometimes that right hand of fellowship and remember, hey, Jesus Christ is sufficient. And they might need encouragement in ways just like we need encouragement as well. And third, we are to remember the poor, to remember the immediate need of those who Paul was encouraged to reach out to, that Jesus himself reached out to in his time on this earth. But don't just take a physical thing. We get to take those things because we are reminded that those who are poor in spirit, they are in need of the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ. Share the only hope that we have found, that you and I have found, our living God and Savior, Jesus Christ himself. Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you for Galatians and for Paul and his confirmation of the gospel that you have confirmed and been at work in doing then and the work that you are doing now. May we always unite and remember that everything is rooted and hinges upon the cross of Jesus Christ. It is finished and that there is no additional truth that we need to or get to add. Help us, O oh Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.